Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. Roger Abel with Elias Randall, and we're going to do a look at 2022 in review as we're kind of kicking off the new year here. Uh, I would say, Elias, some different trends in 2022 versus 2021 for sure. We hit on some of those. But if someone were to ask me what's the biggest question that we've heard this year, it really revolves around two things. Are we in an are we in a recession and inflation? I think you'd probably agree on those are probably two of the most common topics um, or talking points that we've dealt with all, all year long. I agree with that. That's, And I think all year a lot of the um, content that we've created for YouTube, for our podcast and our radio show has been around those two ideas, inflation and recession. Um. So obviously we all know inflation. We all know we don't like it. I think the good news is, is it's getting better. Like their inflation reports have been improving. Um, and actually, if you look at like month to month inflation, that's it's basically non-existent when you look at the month to month inflation. So that is a good thing. And are we in a recession? Um, that's kind of a, that's turned into, I, I used to think that that was an easy thing to define and we had a definition for it, but now there's a lot of talk. And I do somewhat agree with this, that maybe it's not just the technical definition of two quarters in a row of negative GDP, but until we have a lot of layoffs and things that are more painful, painful for people, is it really a recession? You know, I guess technically it is, but I don't know that we've had, um, at least locally in our local economy, like I know employers are still looking to hire people. So I don't know how painful of a recession it is, even though technically we are in one. I think that's good insight. Unfortunately, we're going to keep talking about these two things for 2023 as well, I believe. Probably recession, maybe maybe even more than inflation. We'll see what happens with inflation. But, you know, I, I look back and gas prices at one time, I remember filling my truck up. Remember we joked in a previous show that I don't actually look at the price. I just look at how many gallons I'm getting before the pump shuts off. Yep. I drive a diesel truck and the pump shut off. They were shutting off at about $100. Like once you hit 100 they shut you off. Then it was 125 Then it went to 150 And I realized I used to get a full tank for like 75 bucks. It's a 30-gallon tank, 36-gallon tank. I don't ever get a full tank anymore. I always get it shut off by the pump, and I refuse to press the button and start over again where, you know, like slide your car. You could just fill it. it up when it's down to half. Yeah, I don't operate that way. <laughs> I'm more of a I'm more of a when it says you have 43 miles left and then it goes to low, then I kind of know it's time to fill up. In fact, I have a funny story about this. I think this is 2020, the winter of 20 maybe. I took my daughter sledding, and I picked up. My father-in-law, he wanted to go watch Blakely Sled. And I pull out of my house. I knew I was low on gas. So I go, guys, we have to go get gas before we go sledding. So turn out the corner, make the next left. Right in front of the retirement home, I ran out of gas. I coasted in there. It's right by my house. Every single time we drive by, guess what Blake says? Dad, that's where you ran out of gas. So did you coast into the gas station or the... The retirement home. Lot. The retirement oh. home. No, I was I was a long way from the gas station. I I definitely didn't plan well, but uh, so oops. so I think yeah. Oops. So those are two really 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 big talking points of two thousand and 
22 and we got this from Google Trends. We just went out and said, hey, what are people most interested in? And interestingly enough, it's the stuff that we've been talking about. I know the the other thing that many, many Americans were interested in this year was we all thought we were going to win the lottery. In fact, my wife commented last night, she said the lottery like payout always seems to be really high anymore. I think last night she saw it was up 160 some million dollars. She's like, it's always high. She said, I remember a time when, you know, when it was 160, 160 million, you'd get excited about playing. Well, now people don't get excited about really playing the lottery until it's like five or 600 million. And the last one, the last big one was like a billion dollars. Didn't some guy out of California win $2 billion? I think so. I think someone won a huge jackpot this year. But Mega Millions was the number seven overall search term for 2022. So some people decided that Mega Millions and Powerball was going to be their financial plan for 2022. Unfortunately, it didn't work out for me. I played. I know you probably played. It's oh, fun. Yeah. To, when it gets real big, I go buy a ticket. Do you do you go home and talk to Maddie and say, well, if we won, this is what we would do? Oh, of course. That's the best. That's the best reason to play is to just talk about, oh, if I had all this money, what would I do? Maybe this would that's be the best way to do it. Maybe this could be Elias's. What would Elias do if he won the Powerball? What would he do if I won the Powerball? Uh, I would golf a lot and keep ref and football. That's probably be the the two main things I do the rest of my life. Well, I mean, if you want a giant Powerball, it would be a full time job probably to manage your own money. Uh, yeah. If you, want, spend, if you want a billion yeah. dollars, you'd spend a lot of time doing it. You know, Megan. I mean, I, we, maybe I'd just hire Premier to do it, and I'll just go golfing and ref and football. I'll take the I'll take the billion <laughs> yeah, dollar. We'll have a family office, the Elias Randall family office. There you go. No, but Meg and I we talk about it all the time, and you know, I think we'd be pretty simple. Place in Florida, place at the Ozarks, and a place here. Yeah, that'd be fun. You know, she always said, "Would would you actually retire?" And I said, "I don't think I would. Like, I like what I do. I what would I do if I was retired?" Yeah, I, I so can't that's see. Another... I'd be, I don't think that's fulfilling. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's a big thing. She's like, would you retire? I said, no, I probably wouldn't. I'd probably just go about daily life, although that would probably be challenging with everybody you're working with knowing that you won a billion dollars. A billion dollars. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly, I don't know if I, as far as not working at all, I don't know about that. I think it's easy to say, oh, yeah, I just want to work. But I think that sounds, I don't know. I'm still pretty young, pretty young to not have like any sort of, career ambitions you'd, you'd probably just have to change your purpose your purpose couldn't be you know it's no longer to do something you like and provide for your family it's truly just what i want to do with my last x amount of years on the earth elias another keyword that was searched a lot in 2022 but not as much as 2021 shortages and there still are shortages in goods that, you know, we, we blame most of this on COVID, but there's still shortages. And I think the biggest one that came to mind this year was baby form. Baby formula was a huge shortage. You remember the ads on TV where people couldn't get formula for their baby. Yep. Um, I'll read down the list. Diesel, baby formula, tampon shortage, Adderall shortage, sriracha shortage, cream cheese shortage, avocado shortage, lettuce shortage, and epidural shortage. Seems like a lot of shortages on stuff that are actually fairly important. I mean, we could probably do without Sriracha, but the baby formula and diesel seems pretty systemic to, to our society. 
Yeah, it certainly does. Um, and we had a baby this year, so that it never impacted us, and it has not impacted us yet. But it seems like there's always a shortage now. I don't. Uh, Maddie just told me about another. I don't know. There's some new shortage. There's so a different shortage every month. I don't know why. I don't know what causes it. But I do know all the stuff we buy, it seems like we've been able to get. So, so I'm not sure what's going on. It makes me wonder, you know, China was on a zero COVID policy up until like three weeks ago when they had all the protests. So while the America's been open for business per se, China hasn't been. And they still mm-hmm. produce a lot of goods. I don't know how many of these goods come from there, but there has to be some trickle-down effect through the economy if one of the largest economies in the world just is still closed. There's yeah, not that as impacts much stuff. the entire world. They produce a lot of goods. Yeah, for sure. So hopefully in 2023 we stop seeing shortages. And as we move into 2023, it brings us back to the most fun part of the show that we, we do every year, and that's New Year's resolutions. And I think last year we talked about that the average resolution lasts about eight days, right? Yeah, something like that. Eight days, 60% of people will make a New Year's resolution. Only 8% will achieve them. Uh, After the first week, 75% of people are still successful at the resolutions. After two weeks, the number drops to 71. By six months, only 46% are keeping their resolution. And by the end of the year, 8% feel they were successful. So you see this massive bell curve where people can do it for six months, but then after that, it gets challenging. And it makes me wonder what what people's resolutions are and whether they're actually attainable or not. You know, one thing I realized with making a goal, and we're going to call a resolution a goal or what, whatever it could be, um, has to be attainable, has to be measurable and attainable. And if it's unattainable, that's just setting yourself up for failure. Yeah, I think the attainable or realistic goal I think has a lot to do with it it's probably a cultural thing but many people when you're setting goals you shouldn't set a goal for if something would require one to two years to accomplish the goal shouldn't be to get it done in six months you're setting yourself up for failure and a lot of people try to accomplish I'm going to do this in the next 60 days. Well, really, that should maybe be a 12-month project. So I think you have to be a little bit more realistic about the timeline on your goals. And me personally, I like to have goals. I like to have things I'm working on. But ultimately, you kind of have to have a day-to-day focus too, right? Because you have to get things done today to move you move you towards that. So regardless of your long-term vision, the most important thing is what you're choosing to do on any given day. Well, in my opinion, I think, yeah, your daily routine is going to lead to being successful at the goal. If you don't have a time management or routine, you're just kind of winging it. And whenever you wing something or don't have a plan, the, the probability of success goes down drastically. I think though, that people vastly overestimate what they can accomplish in 12 months. Like they think they can do more in 12 months than they really can. On the flip side, I think people vastly underestimate what they can do over three, five and 10 years. I agree with that. You know, if you look at and think about people that have built great businesses, it didn't take them 30 years to build a business. 
took it didn't happen the first 12 months, but man, three to five years in, that was rocking and rolling. Look at Facebook. How long did it take Facebook to really ignite? Didn't I have no happen, idea. Didn't happen in 12 months, but once it went, it ignited. So I think that when you're thinking about your resolutions, if it doesn't have to just be a 12-month resolution. It could be a one-month goal, a six-month, 12-month, three-year, five-year plan for what they are. And then you can revisit that each year and say, hey, how did my five-year resolution, am I on track for this? And, and what, what I think is important, you mentioned something about daily, day-to-day. I know this year we've adopted the idea that can we just get better at one thing each week? If you improved one thing in your life each week, and it doesn't have to be a giant improvement, that's 52 things you got better at. It's going to be hard to not make good on your goal. And obviously, just like past years, the top three New Year's resolutions are living healthier, personal improvement or happiness, and losing weight. I feel like losing weight's moved down, down the totem pole. I don't know if people have just given up on losing weight. That's always, yeah, healthier living, losing weight. That's always going to be, that's always going to be on there. So when we do our, in our house, when we do our, our goals, I set family goals, personal goals, business goals. I don't know if you do that, but Megan and I will sit down and we'll have a family goal. Yeah. And, you know, you have little kids, so you're going to appreciate this. Our family goal is to hoard less stuff. We went through the toy room. Good. You know how this exercise went. We've taken, I don't even, probably nine or ten bags of toys to Goodwill in the last three days. Because we had the discussion, there's no way we can like make that our goal to hoard less stuff if we don't get of all this, get rid of all the stuff. You're actually hoarding, and you know it's, what's interesting is people don't realize people don't realize they're hoarding stuff. No, if you I, go, yeah, it just builds up over time. So you know, I started in this business going to people's homes, and I've been in those homes where the hallway is created by boxes because they have so much stuff piled up. And I thought about them like those people actually don't realize they have a problem. If you've ever watched the hoarder show, they don't think they have a problem. I can't watch. And clearly show. my house wasn't like that. But, you know, we would load up a whole bag of toys and be like, we didn't even make a dent. We have six boxes of books that the kids read one time. Time to go. We kept one shelf. We went from eight shelves to one. That's pretty good. So. That, that's our that's our goal next year is to stop hoarding as much stuff. You know, we we're consumers and we buy things, but we don't have to hold on to them forever. And I think that's hard for people because the, they have the idea. Well, this is I paid a lot of money for this. Yeah, if you paid a lot of money for it and you're not using it, it still has the same utility. It's zero. Yeah, I mean, just throw it away. Yeah. Get rid of it. Well, our friend Brad does a lot of that. Um so when I, when I start to look at some of the reasons people fail, there's a study that, that was done that 35% of the participants who failed said they made unrealistic goals. So realistic goals, like we mentioned, is number one. If you, if you say, hey, my goal is to lose 40 pounds, well, is that realistic? Why not just set a goal of, hey, maybe we want to lose 10 pounds in the first three months and get the ball rolling? You know what it makes me, you know what it reminds me of? Goal setting on unrealistic expectations a little bit. It's almost like getting out of debt. If you think about the two ways to get out of debt, you've got the debt snowball and the debt avalanche. 
the dead avalanche works best for highly analytical people because you're paying off the highest in straight early, right? The debt snowball works well because you get the satisfaction of paying off a debt. It starts with your smallest debt first. Does it necessarily make the most financial sense from an interest rate standpoint? Probably not. But what it does is it re-ingrains positive behavior. So if you have the $300 Best Buy card and you go pay it off, you had a win. Goal setting nice you the win. same way. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to lose 10 pounds in three months. Like make something you can accomplish. It'll lead to accomplishing another thing. I, you've watched these before, but there is a there was a speech given by a Marine and they talked about why making your bed first thing in the morning is so important because what you did is you automatically ingrained in yourself that you're going to accomplish things today because you accomplished one thing. You completed a task. And I know I'm the same way when I get working. If I get one thing done, it's easier to get the next thing done and the next thing and the next thing because you're starting to create momentum. I think some people refer to them as micro task. I like that. People get up in the morning, you make your bed. Maybe they have a couple dishes out from the night before. Start your day with a few easy micro tasks, as they call them. But that's what it is. It's all about just building up to the thing that you really should work on, but maybe you would procrastinate for whatever reason. Maybe fear or maybe it's overwhelming, but I think a lot of highly successful people and motivated people, I think they've learned over time that starting out with small tasks to build into your bigger tasks during the day can be an effective strategy for some. So as we start to think about the upcoming year, I think it'd be good to give people some idea of what, what are five money tips we can give people if they're saying, Hey, my goal for neck for 2023 is going to improve my financial health per se. Let's go ahead and give give people five ways that they can improve their financial health. And I'm going to let you tackle number one, because I know you're, you've been talking about this all year, Elias, as, as a way to not just improve your financial health, but take advantage of a stock market that's basically been down around 20% for the last, you know, eight to 10 months. Yep. So increasing, increase your 401k plan contributions. This is a recommendation I've made to many clients this year. And certainly people who are young and still working. And when, when I think about 401ks, and a lot of times when you talk with clients and potential new clients about the 401k and what they're doing, a lot of people, um, they really put a lot of thought into what the match is and they'll go, well, I do the, I do 3% because I get the 3% match. Good. That's a good start. That's not going to be enough. If you really want to have some money sometime, that's not enough. You have to save more than that. So if that's what you're doing, if you're just doing the minimum to get the match, increase it 2%. Or 1%, but I think a good strategy, increase it in such a way that it's not going to be noticeable. Don't go from doing 3% to 18% and then you got to lower it back down because now you can't cash flow your life. But maybe get on a plan to um, increase it a little bit every year until you hit an appropriate savings rate, 15, 20%, whatever it is for you. And the other thing I've seen that I really like, some 401ks offer automatic 
increases that you can just set and forget. You can say, I want to increase 1% a year until it gets to 20%. I think that's a very effective strategy. Everyone that I know that has that available and does it every year, they get a raise, their 401k contribution goes up and their lifestyle doesn't change. That's a, that's a good win for everyone involved. It's a great way to get to maximize your, your 401k account. And that's all good advice because I think this goes back to realistic expectations. If you've never contributed to your 401k and you say, hey, in 2023, I'm going to max it out. I'd say the likelihood of someone sticking to that is very, very slim. I think you're hitting yeah. it on the head. Let's if, you, if you've never done a 401k, step one, get the company match. It's a good start. After that, we're going to start getting up to where we're saving at least 15% of our, our paycheck into into our 401k plan. Yeah, and I have a couple other a couple other thoughts on that too, as far as the 401k. And if you think about all the clients that we have that are have been financially successful and hit their goals. And you just think about people who have money in general, right? Most people, most millionaires are first generation millionaires. Most people that have money did it through saving money. They don't do it through starting a business or something like that. Now, there's a lot of very successful people that do that. But just your average everyday person that is a millionaire, they did it by saving a certain amount of money to get there. So those are the type of things you got to wrap your mind around if you're really going to be successful at investing. To boost your emergency savings. This is a good idea. And it's actually really critical that everybody has a good emergency account. I would say around six months is reasonable. And it you should evaluate how much you have saved because the cost of goods has risen. What you need to have in your emergency fund may have changed. So here, here's what I want you to think about. If if six months of expenses was 30,000, let's say 5,000 a month, but inflation's went up 10% over the last two years, which it's been more than that, arguably you probably need to save another 10% into that emergency fund. So maybe the small money goal is, hey, let's make sure our emergency fund is six months. Maybe we have a great emergency fund. It's just fallen behind now because of inflation. Jonas talks about that on the radio a lot. How do we you know, have an inflation-adjusted emergency fund? Maybe it's nine months. Maybe you're thinking there's a recession coming. You're worried about your job. Well, there'd be nothing wrong with beefing up your emergency fund a little bit, especially everybody's getting a little bit better return on their cash now give reasonable rates on CDs. There's a way to get a decent return on a, on a short-term cash investment now that didn't exist before. So maybe just work on boosting that emergency savings account. I agree with that. An emergency fund is one of the, what's one of the most overlooked parts of people's financial picture. You have to have money available for emergencies. Your car is going to need work. Your heater is going to go out. Your water heater is going to need replaced. You're always going to have some bill uh, coming down the road. If you don't have an emergency fund, I'm going to say there's a very, very high likelihood you're always going to be in debt. Because the only way to pay for the unexpected is the credit card. We're borrowing the money. Yeah, if you have now no you emergency have fund, the car payment. breaks down, what do you do? Here's Visa. Visa to the rescue. Number three, plan how you spend before you buy. This is a good one. Um, you know, instead of using credit cards and, you know, borrowing money to buy bigger ticket items, 
maybe having a plan to save up the money to uh, to just be able to afford it outright at some point. And I think recently we did a show on credit card debt going up, what the credit card interest rates now are, what they're charging with those, um, like the retail store cards, like your Shields card, your Target card. I think ultimately you just have to be careful with how you use those tools. They are tools. They do serve a purpose. Um, if you use them and you don't use them wisely, they can. Uh, the purpose of those is going to be putting a lot of money into the credit card company's hands, and you're going to uh, be carrying a lot of debt and paying a very high rate on that. So you just need to be very careful how you use them. And that leads us to number four, which is going a credit card diet. The best way to avoid credit card debt is not use a credit card. If you're going to use a credit card, which I understand there's reasons. I'll give you a good example. I went to Disney with my family. I'm not giving my debit card. I'm going to monitor how much money's getting spent because, you know, you give them a wristband. You get a wristband when you go there. You just, everything you do, you just, here's my wristband. Here's my wristband. Here's my wristband. <laughs> like, they don't really take cash. And That's that was kind of nice because you don't have to carry any debit card or cash into the park. Like, you just use your wristband. Well, yeah, but when you use a wristband, you spend a lot more money than you realize because it's easy to do with the wristband. One of the things I would do if I were utilizing a credit card for purchases, and I did this when I was at Disney, I was paying the credit card every day. Just checked it every day, and then I paid it. That's the way I'm able it's to very, keep it. Very responsible of you. If The other way that I always do it, I always check it weekly, and then I just pay whatever balance is on there every week. But here's what happens to most people. They wait till the end of the month. And I almost wonder if credit card companies have this figured out, which they probably do. Instead of it being $500 a week to pay it, let's say, just making a number up, you get a bill for $2,000 because you didn't pay it weekly. The credit card company says, oh, well, you only have to pay $87. So what, yeah. what do most people do? They pay the $87 because it's just convenient because Christmas is coming. Then they go out the next month. They spend another two. Now what do we have? We have four. And the only reason they're putting money on this card, Elias, is because they don't actually have the money themselves to pay for it. Otherwise, they cycle. wouldn't use it. So it just becomes a vicious cycle. So I would tell people, if you've been in credit card debt and got out, just make it your goal to not use these things unless you really have to. You know, I I have some strong feelings on traveling. Like, I just don't want my debit card information out there. So when I travel, everything goes on a credit card. I don't want to. I've had my bank account stolen before when I traveled. It's a way bigger deal to unwind a stolen debit card that somebody's using than a credit card that somebody's using. The credit card company just shuts it off and refunds your money. The bank, they make it a little bit more painful to go through the process of reclaiming what's yours. Which is one of the benefits of using a credit card especially when you travel there's some more protection it's there. really only about the only in my opinion it's really only the benefit the only benefit is the main one yeah. yeah i mean otherwise the interest rates suck yep and it's a trap so number five prepare for tax time early it is that time of year to start getting prepared for taxes um i'm sure a lot of people you know from an investment side of things have probably had an opportunity to maybe do some tax loss harvesting um, and things like that. But as we move into the new year, it's going to be tax season. So you're going to have to file all your documents, work with your CPA, um, get all that squared away. And I think if you are probably one of the better tips you could make is 
if you are going to have to owe taxes, um, maybe get a plan to start saving that money or raising that cash somewhere. And on the flip side, if you're going to get a tax return, you know, maybe look at some areas where that could help you. Do you need to beef up your emergency fund? Do you have a credit card out there you could pay off? Do you have an auto loan that you could use that to pay off? Um, so if you're going to get a refund, that would be a good time to start thinking about how can this, how can this effective, uh, how can I use this effectively, I guess is what I'm getting at. I think that's really well said, Elias. <clears throat> With that said, I want to thank everybody for listening in 2022. Wish everybody a great 2023. Now's the time to start planning to get your financial house in order. If you're looking to start the year on a fresh note, you can go to btwellshow.com. We'd be happy to help everybody get a financial plan or give them whatever guidance we could. Do you have any other closing remarks? I do not. Well, you said, you said it all. I wish everybody a prosperous 2023 and thanks for listening. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.